Chapter Nineteen of One of My Sons by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. I make my first move. To attempt to fathom such a nature as this leads to little but mental confusion. Before I had spent a half hour in trying to untangle the knotty problem offered by Leighton Gillespie's opposing characteristics, I decided to follow the example of my friend Underhill and keep to facts. These in themselves were startling enough to occupy my mind and convince me absolutely of Leighton's guilt, but this was not convincing Miss Meredith. Probabilities, possibilities even, which might satisfy me, would count for but little with her. With her nice sense of justice, she would demand a positive and unbroken chain of evidence before she would allow herself to acknowledge the guilt of the man whose innocence I presumed to challenge. And this clear and unbroken chain I did not have. How, then, could I strengthen the evidence just obtained? Not by showing motive. There seemed to be no motive. To be sure, Leighton was in debt. So were they all, and he was known to have quarreled bitterly with his father more than once. But these were not new facts, nor were they sufficiently condemnatory to settle, even in her mind, the torturing question embodied in that one word already alluded to, which. Something of an absolutely criminating character must be found against this man some proof so direct and unanswerable that even her scrupulous conscience would be satisfied something like positive evidence say that he had visited mother mary for the purpose of obtaining in secret the poison he dared not buy openly or that the glass of sherry he poured out for his father had held poison as well as wine as all attempts to establish this latter fact had proved abortive, as the police had not only failed to prove that such a mixture had been made, but to settle the exact medium by means of which Mr. Gillespie received the poison, I turned my attention to the easier task and decided to concentrate my energies upon establishing the fact that the bottle carried from Mother Mary's by the would-be sailor contained prussic acid, and that this would-be sailor was positively the man we supposed him to be. Leighton Gillespie. With these facts indubitably established, even Miss Meredith must feel that the man who could be guilty of obtaining a deadly drug through such underhanded agency, and at such a risk to his reputation, must have had a purpose in so doing which could only be explained by the tragedy which took place in his home so soon afterwards. This point reached in my meditations, I next asked myself how the necessary inquiries could be started without risk to their success. I could not go openly to Mother Mary, or rather it would be undesirable for me to do so. If, as I sometimes suspected, I was myself under surveillance, I could make no such move without attracting the attention of detectives to a matter which I hoped to keep a sacred secret between Hope and myself. Remember that I was not working to bring the guilty to justice, but to free a pure heart from a soul-torturing doubt. But if I could not go there myself, whom was I to send? What man of my acquaintance was judicious enough to be entrusted with such a message? Yox? I did not like the man. I looked upon him as a very shady individual, and shrank from strong distaste from further contact with him. Underhill? I laughed at that suggestion. Who, then? Not a single name rose in my mind, till, by an association of ideas not entirely illogical, I remembered the habits of certain members of the Salvation Army, 
and how easy it would be for one of them to enter such a vile haunt as Mother Mary's, and interview the depraved beings to be found there without attracting the notice of the police, or arousing the least suspicion as to their intentions. But could I reach such a man? And if I could, would I find him willing to undertake such an errand without understanding its full purport, and just what use was to be made of the knowledge thus obtained? This seemed very doubtful, and I was seriously deliberating over my next move, when my mind flew straight from the topic engaging it to that memorable moment in my experience, when, amid the alarm and hurry following the suspicions expressed by the physician called in at Mr. Gillespie's death, the glass fell from Hewson's hand and broke into a hundred pieces on the dining-room hearth. The tinkle made by the shattered glass, the gasp which escaped the old man's lips, all came back to me and with it the startling conviction, strange that it had not struck me before, that this old and tried servant of a disrupted household knew who had tampered with that glass, and by this sudden breaking of the same had sought to shield him. Now if I should find out that this man regarded Leighton with an especial fondness, but such thoughts were for further contemplation. With a resolution born, perhaps, of the lateness of the hour, I forced my mind back into its former channel, and resolutely asked myself how a connection was to be established between Mother Mary and myself. The small confidence I have always had in third parties, especially when a matter of delicate inquiry was to be pushed, made it imperative for me to see her myself. Yet how? Ah, an idea! What if I took the bull by the horns and openly requested the assistance of the police in my adventure? That would disarm suspicion and render me independent of special surveillance. The idea was a happy one, and relieved by the prospect it offered, I resigned myself to sleep. Next day I went boldly to police headquarters and asked for assistance in making some inquiries in a dangerous quarter of the town. I said that the case then before me necessitated some evidence which could only be gathered from a certain old woman whose name and place of living I had yet to learn, by judicious questioning in that quarter of the city where she had been last seen. Would they give me a man to make my projected tour safe? They would. Could I have him now? I could. Satisfied with the result of my first move, and more than satisfied with the unintelligent appearance of the man they picked out to escort me, I made for Mother Mary's, but not in a direct course or with any appearance of knowing where I was going. I tried several lodging-houses and chatted across several bars, and noting the indifference with which my thick-headed companion followed me, I really began to cherish hopes of coming through my task without any unpleasant consequences to myself. Sometimes he tried to help me, but as I had given no names and confined myself to a somewhat vague description of the person I wanted, this help was naturally futile, and I found myself approaching my goal without any seeming advance having been made. Should I proceed at once to the docks, or should I play the fox's game a little longer? As I weighed these alternatives, my eyes fell on a Salvation Army sign, and the idea I had scouted the day before returned to me with renewed force. Pointing to the windows across which it was displayed, I said that there were people who might possibly tell me where to find the woman I sought, and, leaving the officer outside, he seemed quite content to stay in the fresh air, I went in and respectfully approached the sweet-faced woman I saw before me. 
I am come for assistance, I began. I am in search of a woman. Here the words died in my throat. Opposite me, and quite near enough for me to catch what they were saying, I saw two men. One was the Salvation Army captain, and the other was Leighton Gillespie. End of chapter 19